You're listening to Academic Gig, Season 2, Episode 8. Academic Gig is a podcast for current and aspiring academic creatives, freelancers, and entrepreneurs. Along with every episode, we post show notes with links to resources mentioned in the episode and a full transcript. You can find these materials, sign up for our email list, and share your ideas for episode topics at academicgig.com. Now, on to the episode. Hey, Katie, how are you? I am good. How are you, Sarah? Oh, I'm doing pretty well. It's uh, the sun is is going down here in this lovely winter Minnesota day. So, uh, you know, it's getting getting a little dark here. Yes, it, the wind is blustery here over on this other part of the country. Um, <laughs> and I'm excited to talk with you today about experimentation. Yeah. For this final episode of season two. It's crazy Yay. to me that we are already at the end of season two. I know. I don't know. How did this happen? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. Okay. So I am really curious where I want to kind of dive into this conversation about experimentation. And I think we want to tackle a range of things, but thinking about our businesses and how we kind of think about experimenting with different, you know, products or different methods of or strategies for what we're doing. I want to go back to your early days of YouTube. Mm. And I first of all, I want to promise our listeners, we will have an episode with Sarah on YouTube in season three. I'm just saying it right now. Like, <laughs> I want to dive deep. I want to go into the 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 dark black hole of YouTube with Sarah. Wait, um, so you're saying there will be a season three? There will be a season three. I know. Hey. Well, I hope there will be. Will you, will you do know. a season yeah. three with me? We haven't even talked about it. Um, We're announcing it on the podcast. Great. Excellent. Excellent. So I want to go back to the early days of, of YouTube because you were not always the YouTube expert that you are now that feels comfortable with it. You know, mm-hmm. like, how did you first start experimenting with YouTube? What did that look like? Yeah. Um, for me... I started by watching a lot of YouTube. I think most YouTubers start that way, um, where I just, I don't even remember how I stumbled onto the Vlogbrothers, but I did. So um, I wondered if they were part of your early days. Yes. I'm curious about that. Yes. So um, for those of you who are not aware of the YouTube kind of (laughs) weird world of YouTube, um, there there were two brothers who started doing um, video blogs back and forth to each other in 2007. Their names were Hank and John Green. John Green went on to write The Fault in Our Stars and most recently Turtles All the Way Down. So you might know him from that. But um, in 2007, they started this video blog were basically, they were brothers who had never really gotten to know each other um, for a number of reasons. And so as adults, they wanted to kind of reacquaint each other with themselves. And so sort of this like communication project. And so they said, well, let's do video blogs and instead of sending texts or writing emails. And so over the course of 2007, they went back and forth every weekday, uploading a video to YouTube, because that was the video platform of the time that would support such things. Um, and they they were basically just like letters back and forth to each other um, about things they were thinking about or things they were doing that day. Um, and they just kind of take their cameras around and, and show, you know, things that they were up to. Um, since then, they have... <laughs> 
grown considerably. We'll just we'll just put it that way. Um, and they are now regarded as some of the main leaders uh, and biggest creators on YouTube. So they have branched off and done a whole bunch of different kinds of educational channels. Um, they have uh, SciShow and Crash Course are two of their big ones, but they they really are are leaders in the field of um, of YouTube and of thinking about YouTube as a platform, especially for education, but but also for social social justice kinds of issues and that sort of thing. So they've done a variety of different projects. But um, kind of early on in my YouTube uh, dabbling, uh, I want to say that was probably like 2011, 2012, something like that. I I don't remember who introduced me to them, but um, I you know found found the Vlogbrothers and was really compelled by not only their their messages. Um, but also just with their sense of humor and they're just nerdy and quirky guys who just like were thoughtful about important issues, but could also, you know, <laughs> talk about like political dynamics of, the, of a really complicated thing while eating toilet paper. A thing that really happened. Look it up. Um, <laughs> so they don't you know, even they really just, know where to go with that. Yeah, it's it's bizarre, but uh, but they they just were really personable and and fun and brought a lot of um, really interesting interesting things to this platform uh, of YouTube. And they had kind of amassed this community following of people who who identify themselves as nerd fighters. That's not people who fight nerds, but nerds who fight world suck. So anyway, there's this, there's this whole big community that's grown up around them. Um, and so I, I really early on, um, jumped in there and just watched them go back and forth and was like, wow, they're doing really cool stuff. And I was already interested in this idea of how do we communicate science, um, to public audiences, right? How do we take what we have learned in the research and make it available and useful for people in the real world? And so I was watching them, not only on their Vlogbrothers channel, but also on um, uh, SciShow and on Crash Course, where they were doing a lot of educational online video, you know, tackling topics of like political science or, you know, the minutiae of this particular scientific study, you know, of in the subset of biology or something. Um, and they were really bringing a sense of, of humor to it, um, while also making it educational. And so it was this kind of marrying of entertainment and education. And I found that really, really compelling. And so I was kind of poking around in the space of, of YouTube and, and looking to see who else was out there and, you know, stumbled on a few other educational creators that I really liked their style as well. But I didn't see anybody in the space of developmental psychology doing this kind of thing. And I thought, huh, well, <laughs> this seems like an opportunity to try something cool. And so I I decided to start my channel um, and and basically just kind of jump in. And it, it was kind of an ongoing process. And it was really scary at first, right? Because you're like putting yourself on the internet in a kind of a weird space. And you don't you don't really ever know what's going to happen. Um, and, you know, so those first couple of videos, I remember being kind of like, I don't know if this is good enough. I don't know if I'm adding any value to this. But I'm I'm excited about doing this thing. But I'm also really nervous. And I think that's that's common. Um, I'm sure a lot of listeners have had that experience where you're starting something new that you're super excited about, but you're also totally terrified of. Um, and so those first those early days on YouTube were a lot about watching what other people were doing, kind of, you know, commenting on other people's videos, starting to get kind of connected with some of the smaller YouTuber communities. Um, and then from there, it just really blossomed for me 
not so much on my channel, but in terms of the people that I got to know and the communities that I got to be a part of. And that has continued to this day. And, and that's honestly one of the most valuable parts of the YouTube experience for me. It's provided a great platform for me to, to get my message out and to hone my video making skills and to think about how to be concise when I'm talking about science. Um, but it's also provided me a great way to be connected with other people who are passionate about making online video across a wide variety of subjects and topics. And so um, really for me early on, it was a, a, a whole process of experimenting with what I was seeing other people do and kind of trying different things in certain videos. And some things worked and some things didn't, you know, some things I'd try to adapt to my voice and my persona and it just fell flat. Like it just was not going to work for me. So then I'd kind of push that aside and say, okay, well, let's try this instead. And through that process of experimentation and, um, and, and kind of trying, trying out some different things, I've really kind of learned what my online video voice is um, when when I'm presenting online video. But I also got to kind of try um, other video projects, not on my own channel, but on, on a few other channels um, to kind of hone those skills as well. So it was it, it was really just sort of the um, coming together of time and interest uh, in, in a kind of cool and compelling way, while also being able to kind of watch other people, the leaders kind of in this educational um, online video field really kind of show the way of this is what works and this is how to kind of operate in this space. So that's that's the long-winded story of how, uh, how I found YouTube. <laughs> right. So, well, we will obviously refer back to this episode when we do the actual YouTube episode in season <laughs> three. Um, but I am also wondering, like, now that you are more seasoned and mm -hmm. you have your voice and you're kind of, you know, you've figured some things out, are you still compelled to experiment? I mean, like, or has that you know, like what, what kind of causes you or motivates you to continue experimenting when you've mastered something a little bit? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great question because it's a, it's a hard thing, right? When you feel like you're really good at something, you kind of want to just keep doing it that way because it works. Um, but at the same time, creativity is a little bit fickle <laughs> sometimes. And uh, as, as our your audience members sometimes, right? Like, so, so things need to change and evolve and grow. Um, and I'm actually kind of in a period of that right now with my channel in general, because of some changes that YouTube has made to the structure of how things work um, on the platform. Um, for those of you who are wondering, this is recorded in early January of uh, 20, or I guess mid-January 2018, um, right after YouTube has announced a lot of their changes to uh, the monetization, the way they do ad revenue and those sorts of things, which is kind of shaking things up for creators right now. Um, and so I'm having to think about, okay, how do I want to use this platform moving forward? And so I am going to have to experiment a little bit and, and play around and, and figure out, okay, what do I want this channel to do for me moving forward? You know, if it's not going to be a huge um, source of, you know, ad revenue, which I wasn't really expecting it to be anyway, but but it was a thing that I was kind of working toward. Um, if that's not going to be a possibility for me now, how am I going to shift? Am I, how am I going to use this to support the other aspects of my business? And so, you know, for me, that, that means experimenting with different topics. It means um, experimenting with different styles. Um, I've done that a little bit recently with getting a little bit more into motion graphics and animation on some of my content, which has been fun. Um, 
but also, you know, I, I also have to remember to keep it um, clear and coherent with the voice that I have found and honed over the years of, of doing YouTube. Um, and that's one of the things that I think I've had to kind of rediscover recently, um, that I need to kind of let myself, you know, have the permission to kind of be a little bit goofy and nerdy in my videos, because it turns out that's who I am. And that's also what people find most compelling, frankly, about my, my presence online. Uh, and so I have to be thoughtful to make sure that I'm including that um, in in the videos that I make. Um, and so that's those are kind of some things that I'm playing with a little bit, but also trying to make sure that I am um, staying, you know, staying present in the the other uh, aspects that I'm that I'm doing in my in my videos. Interesting. That's my dog barking in the background, by the way. I don't know what she's barking at. Probably the neighbors. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Keeping it real. Keeping it real here. Keeping it real in academic academic where we both work from home for our our businesses. Indeed. So Katie, I'm curious um, to hear a little bit from you about podcasting. So when you first started doing podcasting, um, you know, what was, what was that like? And how did you kind of experiment with that first getting into it? So I feel like when it comes to podcasting, I had a huge safety net when I was experimenting in that my first podcast was for Oregon State. And it's the job I I currently hold there for my full-time work. And um, the podcast is called Research in Action. And in kind of collaboration with our marketing team, um, I was talking with them about this idea I had. Actually, when I interviewed, I said, I pitched the idea of maybe we should do a podcast. And so we had these like planning meetings and I basically planned the podcast with marketing professionals. Um, which I mean, I don't know better way of like having a conversation about that. Um, so we started there and then I also had a multimedia team to help me figure out all of the sound and kind of equipment questions and none of us had ever done it before. So we were all just kind of figuring it out together, but we were doing it in a team environment, which was really great. Um, so I feel like when I first started with podcasting, I just had that safety net of like, we were all trying to figure it out. And it was very experimental in that we were committed to it. And and we pre-recorded a lot of episodes and like made sure that we could really keep up the schedule of doing a weekly show. Um, But we didn't really have any sense of where it would go. Um, And we literally, as we record this, we've just passed 100,000 downloads um, for that show. Yeah, so that's super exciting. And we're about to release our 100th episode next month. So um, it's been a a two-year project. We're entering into our third year of that show. So when it came to starting my other shows... Um, and they were started roughly like six months apart. I mean, I've basically released a new show every six months or so, um, since that beginning, um, podcast, the first one that you've got this, I mean, the most experimental part of it was that it was a solo show. And I was like, I had no idea if anybody cared enough to listen to me talk for 10 minutes once a week. And then I started talking for 10 minutes twice a week um, (laughs) and answering people's questions. And and I've done a lot of like little kind of mini experiments with that show, including sponsorship, which was totally an experiment because I have no idea. I'd never done it before. Um, So, I mean, I but I think the initial part of it was, I mean, I completely can point to the origins of podcasting with that team at Oregon State. I mean, like, Mm. I I don't know that I would be, if I had not taken that job at Oregon State, I don't know that I'd be podcasting now. 
Oh, interesting. It's so right. interesting to think about, like, why you do the things you do, right? And I, like I kind of alluded to earlier, it's sometimes it's the the intersection of having a little bit of time and having some passion for something and the will to just kind of try it out and see what happens. Right. Well, and now I've completely fallen into it. I mean, I just love, I mean, I think right. people can tell I have four shows. I mean, like, I love it. I think <laughs> it's super fun. And I have dedicated a closet in my house to be my podcast studio. And like, I, you know, it's something that I really have a lot of fun with and I enjoy the medium a lot. Um, but I, I don't know. Like, I, I'm assuming that if I hadn't taken this job with Oregon State and I'd never gotten into podcasting, there probably would have been something else in its place, mm, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, but I also tie the origins of my podcast in a lot of ways to the origins of my business mm. um, because I started podcasting as a way to have an extra medium to talk about my book that was coming out. Like, I, and that's, I started a newsletter. Like, I was really trying to tie it in with book promotion. And in a way that was genuine, I didn't want to just be talking about my book, like, but I wanted to have a platform where if I mentioned my book, it was normal and natural and, you know, like genuine. And now I have a podcast that's just about academic publishing and writing. I mean, like, because that's such a big part of my life and my, the work that I do. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it was, but it was, I, I can't emphasize enough, like the safety net that was there. I mean, that that was really, and I'm trying to think about other things that I might've experimented with where I didn't really have that safety net. And hmm. I definitely think like the webinars would be a good example of that because I was doing a lot of that. With, like I used a new platform for that that I've never used before. Mm-hmm. Um, I was using a new kind of course design space. I, I feel like the model that I've chosen for those webinars where I do live webinars and then I provide the replay in basically a course, a kind of online course space for people. Like I'd never seen anyone do that before. Mm. Um, so I there, there was a lot of stuff in that that I just thought about like, what would my, if I was doing this, what would I want? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I just designed it around that. So um, that, I, that I felt like didn't really have a safety net. Hmm. Interesting. So I'm curious with the with the webinars and and those sorts of things the the things you were just alluding to a little bit. Um, you know, you said you you designed it based on what you would have wanted if if you were looking for for that kind of content. I'm curious to what degree you think moving forward, some of you know you might experiment with some of that stuff moving forward, and to what degree you'll you'll kind of ask your audience, okay, what worked, what didn't, you know, what should I play with and adjust and shift moving forward. Right. So I'm actually in the process right now, like today I'm releasing a mid-year evaluation for that webinar program. (laughs) So like the timing (laughs) of that question is really perfect Um, because I am asking, you know, I I have, because it's the first year that I've ever run out a webinar series. And I'm definitely, when it comes to that series, I was definitely like a go big or go home. You know, like I was like, I'm doing nine, you know, over a period of nine months. And like, I mean, it wasn't just one. It was like, I'm going to run two on every day. And I mean, it was just... You know, I, I I dream big and then I implement big. So I think that because it's the first year doing it, I, I just released, as we record this, the fifth um, live webinar was today, it was this morning. Mm-hmm. So we're five into the nine and I want to check in and, you know, kind of get some feedback from people. And I've been asking for feedback with every webinar. I have like a form that people can fill out, but not a lot of people are. So I'm going to do like a dedicated, like, I, I'd really like some feedback to know, um, just, just simple things. Like, do you really need to have two options for when the live webinar is, mm-hmm. you know, like in the future, do I need to offer two different times during the day or could I just offer one? 
Um, especially since I'm doing a replay, you know, like I'm not sure it's really necessary for me to do two live versions of it. Um, and I'm also just curious, like, are people actually implementing the stuff that I'm talking to them about? Like, mm -hmm. is it helping them? You know, like, are there actionable things that they're taking away from this experience? So I like to experiment, but I'm, I mean, I'm a researcher, so mm -hmm. I like to have the data to know what the experiment, what are we doing? And, and to that end, we're also designing a listener survey right now for research in action as well, because mm -hmm. we're about to hit our two year anniversary and it just seems like a good time to reach out to people and hopefully learn a little bit about who's listening to the show. I mean, that's mm -hmm. the challenge about podcasting is you really don't know who's listening. Right. Um, I, I mean, we get interaction on social media. We get some emails from people, but there's a whole slew of people that I don't know anything about and would love to learn more about them and, and what their needs are. So um, I think there's a balancing act there of, of experimenting, but then also like getting a sense of what is your return on investment and also what is it that your audience's needs are. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's it, the same is true of YouTube in the sense that uh, you you don't always know who's watching your stuff and how they're using it. I think that's the other piece, too. And, and I don't know if you have this maybe as much as in your podcast specifically, but I know that a lot of the content that I make and that my fellow educators make on on YouTube gets used in classrooms and professional development trainings and those kinds of environments, but we never hear about that, which is an interesting thing because you think about like older models where it was like you'd sell textbooks or, you know, you'd buy, buy textbooks for a course or something like that. Like the publisher knows that, hey, this person bought this many textbooks and are using them in this course or whatever. That doesn't happen in the same way with some of this, you know, with free content, frankly. Um, and so I don't always know how my people are using stuff either. Um, I always encourage people to, I'm like, yeah, take it, use it however you want to, um, if you think it would be helpful. But I think it's, it, yeah, it's hard to know exactly how people are, are using it, not only how they're learning from it themselves, but are they, how are they applying it to their, their own lives? And we talked a little bit on our last episode about how people learn new things. And so I think that, that, that ties in interestingly too. like, we were talking about being learners and what, what does learning look like to us? But, um, but I think we don't always consider the ways that learners who are interfacing with the stuff that we're putting out there, like what they're taking away and how they're applying it is, is something that's sometimes a mystery. Right. Well, and, and I, so it's funny because last week, actually, somebody reached out to me on LinkedIn and told me that they're assigning the Research in Action podcast in their doc, um, their doc student research methods class. Oh, cool. And we actually make instructor guides for every episode for that mm. purpose. Like mm -hmm. we want people to be incorporating these episodes into the classroom. And basically for people who don't know the show, I'm just, I'm interviewing other researchers basically. And mm. we're talking about research methods and, you know, various things like writing productivity, writing sabbaticals, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, and it's so funny to me because I, I would say relatively regularly, somebody like tweets me about, oh, hey, we're using this in the classroom. And I'll say, oh, have you seen our instructor guides? And they're like, no. <laughs> and we announce that we have instructor guides on every episode. <laughs> like it's part of the intro. Like it says, oh, like no. go to our website, get the instructor <laughs> guides, you know, like, so this is the kind of thing that it's like, I think the user survey can help me figure out, like, are mm -hmm. you using the instructor? Like we can look at our Google analytics and whatever and like see who's downloading what. But I, you know, that's the kind of question that I'm curious about is like, did you even know that we have this? Like we're trying mm -hmm. to get the word out. We talk about it on social media. We talk about it on every weekly episode. 
but that doesn't mean that it's actually happening. So right, right. Yeah. So that's always yeah. kind of interesting. You can't control like what other people choose to hear or not hear. <laughs> right. Well, or what yeah. they scrub through. I mean, podcasting. Exactly. I mean, it's notorious for people just skipping over the stuff that they feel like they've heard over and over again. Yeah. Um. So I'm curious, Sarah. Like, is there anything that you're trying to experiment with now? that maybe you're feeling kind of novice at or you're just like starting to poke at to see what's going on there? Yeah, there are a couple of things that I'm kind of working on. That The one that, that feels pretty novice to me and I'm just kind of beginning to wrap my head around this is um, developing some either online course modules or online packages of some sort um, that are related to, you know, some of the content on my YouTube channel, but also some of the content that I, when I go and do speaking gigs, especially with like early childhood um, care providers and and others kind of in that space, education and social work and that sort of thing around issues of stress and trauma in young young kids and what that means and how to work with kids in those kinds of um, environments. There's, I feel like there's opportunity there, um, and I feel like there is, there's a way to do it in a, in a smart way, and in a way that will, um, you know, bring people on, bring people who I meet in person to kind of inter, interface with me online a little bit better. Uh, it also kind of fills a need. I, I know that there's kind of less out there with respect to content in that particular field. Um, and so there, there are some things that I'm kind of poking at and playing with a little bit to kind of figure out um, what might that look like in a way that's not going to cause, that's not going to make a ton more to work for me. Like there's, there's content I've already developed in certain ways that I think could be repackaged, right? In a, in a way that would be um, compelling for people and fill a need and that sort of thing. So I'm, I'm kind of wrestling a little bit with that right now and, and experimenting um, in, in that space. Um, the other is, uh, you know, kind of related to that, um, and I alluded to this earlier, experimenting a little bit with my YouTube channel, um, but also with online video in general. So um, one example I can give is that uh, a colleague and I um, a couple of weeks ago filmed um, a couple of role play examples for how a, a early care provider might work with a child who is, you know, dealing with, you know, a stressful experience or something and, and who might lash out in a, in a particular way. Like, how do you in the moment um, connect with that child and redirect the behavior and that sort of thing. Because that's a thing that a lot of people, um, when I go give talks and when my colleague goes and and does presentations, like they want to see that in action, right? They want to see, okay, but how do you do this in real life? And so we scripted and filmed several different kind of role play examples. And we're going to use those in many and various ways, but, but that's a, it's, it's going to be an interesting kind of experiment between bringing in that kind of difficult content to, to convey in any other medium while also putting my own kind of authentic video voice spin on it. Um, and so that's a thing that I'm excited about to kind of play around with a little bit because it's a little different than stuff I usually do. But I think, again, it, it fills a need and it um, it will potentially, you know, lead to other things and, and will be valuable and, and useful for people who are in the field. And I'm trying to figure out exactly how that fits in with the course module package idea and all of those kinds of things. So um, it's exciting to be thinking about how all of that's going to work. And um, I'm really hoping 
knowing that when I play back this episode in six months to a year, I'm like, woohoo, it worked. <laughs> but but we'll see. As with any experiment, you just never know. <laughs> right. Well, so I'm curious, like when you're just diving into that, like how do you decide what your first steps are <laughs> in that experimentation? Yeah. Like, can you walk us through that a little? Ah, um, it's a, it's a little haphazard. Uh, and in the last last episode, Katie, you you said that you thought I was more evolved because of how I approach learning. I will say that I think you are more evolved in how you approach like tackling a new thing. <laughs> um, because for me, it's a little bit of exploration out there about what other people are doing and how other people are using different platforms. Um, but frankly, a lot of that is kind of overwhelming to me because I, I know I can get kind of sucked into the minutia pretty quickly. Right. And so I'm trying to take a step back and think, okay, you know, what's going to be most useful? Um, what interfaces well with like continuing education requirements that people have in various fields? And so I need to do some research on, on those kinds of pieces, because I think that will inform how I develop the course as a whole. Um, and I'm also thinking about content in there, right? Like what pieces of content are necessary, um, again, either to meet standard, some standards that are required or um, that I think are really important aspects to bring in. And how do I want to do that? Do I already have videos that I've already made that I could pull in in a particular way? Do I need to make new content? So I'm still kind of in that process of crafting like the syllabus for the, for the course or the, the, um, the skeleton of the package of materials that it might be. Um, and so I'm, I'm still really in those early, early phases of, of really a lot of thought work about, okay, how do I want this to look? And then there's the back end of it in terms of, okay, which course platform do I want to use? You know, how are people going to pay for this? Are people going to pay for this? How do I get people to pay for this? You know, there's how do I run a promotional deal and all of those kinds of things swirling around too. So, um, you know, for me, I'm kind of exploring a little bit on all of those at once. Um, my time might be better used if I were to just focus on one, but the issue I'm having is that they all affect each other. And so you kind of have to, you have to know the landscape well enough, um, in all of those areas in order to make kind of informed decisions about any of it. And so I'm, I'm really sort of still in that initial information gathering and, and thinking stage of the, of the process. I did once hear an online entrepreneur talk about how like people would come to him with questions about like, like you're saying, like, how do you discount for, you know, a bulk wholesale option if somebody wants X, Y, Z? And mm -hmm. he'd be like, well, tell me more about your thing. Have you created, you know, like, you know, like, and they'd be like, well, I haven't created it yet. Like, and they, they'd already gone like way down this like <laughs> rabbit hole of, yeah. you know, like all the details. And it's kind of like what you're describing. And, and I agree with you that sometimes it's all connected, but I also think that sometimes it's easy to get caught up in the experimentation stage with all the what ifs mm -hmm. without you don't even have the thing yet. Like right. you haven't even designed <laughs> it, you know, like, yeah. so it's like there, there has to be a sense of stages of like, yeah. wait, design the thing and then worry about, you know, but I, I appreciate your planning though. I mean, as a strategic planner myself, that to me is like, I get it. I mean, I get wanting to make sure the pieces are aligned from the beginning. So you're not mm -hmm. causing yourself more work later. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And it's a challenge. I mean, it's it's something I've, I'm, I, I suspect I'm like others this way too. Um, I'm really good at um, going into a, an organization or, or working with people and identifying, okay, here is what needs to happen. And here's the path to get there. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm really good at doing that with other people's problems. <laughs> I'm less good at doing that with my own. <laughs> 
I suspect I'm not alone in that. Uh, but that's definitely a thing I'm, I'm kind of wrestling with right now. And, and, you know, part of the issue too, is not having enough time and space to really sit down, um, you, you know, in a concerted time frame and just be like, okay, this is what I'm going to focus on for this amount of time. Um, I've been doing a lot of other, other little things in the last week or so. So I haven't really had carved out the time to, that's necessary to really do a lot of that initial thinking work but yeah well and it takes a lot of thought I mean I think that's the thing about experimentation is like you have to think through as you've described like there's all these different possibilities of what you could do and how do you narrow that often it's through some sense of research um and I think about even like picking a course platform Mm -hmm. they're all kind of the same but they have little things that are different and you know you want to think about even the aesthetics of like what your course will look like and and the ease of you know payment systems and things like that um I mean all of that goes into it so I think you've just raised some really important points so yeah, I'm curious, Katie, for you in terms of uh, experimentation, like what are what are you thinking for the next you know year? Or what's what's on your plate right now that you're playing around with? Oh, what is on my plate? Um, that's a good question. So there are a lot of things I guess I could call experimentation because I feel like there's just a lot of new stuff. Um, but I don't I I gotta like sift through it in my mind to see like what's active experimentation. So there's definitely stuff with like book promotion. Like I feel like I'm kind of constantly thinking about new things. And a lot of it is little stuff. I mean, it's not like big stuff. When I first started and I was doing things like virtual book tours and stuff, that was like big experimentation. Like I I didn't really know what it was going to be. And I was that was when I was like dipping my toes into webinars and things like that. Um, But I think, you know, part of it right now for me is I'm still trying to figure out what I want for my business like in Mm. terms of like core services. And so I feel like some of my experimentation right now is split between the web design stuff that I do and the coaching and trying to kind of figure out, for example, like how many clients can I really handle at one time with those different services? Like that's taking some experimentation of just like when I'm scheduling them, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and and like literally, I think I can take on more coaching clients than I can web design clients at one time. Hmm. So like right now I'm juggling five coaching clients and um, one web design client and that feels okay. You know, Mm -hmm. like that feels doable. Um, So there's some experimentation going on with just that, like trying to figure out what I like and um, what I actually have time for. And then I'm also trying to experiment a little bit with Well, I'm not actively experimenting with it, but I'm actively thinking about, and it will soon turn into some experimentation around what I want to do with my speaking. Hmm. Um, And and that's really about, so one of the things I've been giving some thought to, um, and I want to give a little bit of a a shout out here to another podcast called The Rebel Speaker, which I may or may not have mentioned on the show before. I can't remember. Um, But this woman, um, Michelle Mazur, who's an academic as well, she talks about figuring out like, what is your signature talk? And I don't really, I have a signature talk, signature talk, but I kind of fell into it. Like it's, it wasn't really designed to be my signature talk, but it's the talk that everybody hires me to do. Um, <laughs> I know that and, feeling. <laughs> right. And it's fine. It's, it's kind of, it's, it's getting a little bit, um, not dated in terms of its content, but dated in terms of my career stage and like where I was when I designed it. I'm mm. not really in that place anymore. So it, I feel like it doesn't match very well with like my current stuff that I'm pretty passionate about and even like my current books that I'm writing. So there may be some experimentation with that in terms of trying to um, think about 
again, like, what do I want to be known for? So like branding experimentation is probably the best way um, to describe the direction I'm heading in there. Um, and then also, I'm really trying to think about, like, I my pipeline for my books is pretty long term. Um, I'm working on book number four right now. Book number five was recently pitched. And then I'm I'm kind of planning out what I think will be book seven or six and seven. And so there's experimentation a little bit going on there too, in terms of like, where do I want to take my writing? And I have thought and toyed with the idea of whether or not I want to get an agent and try to do a book that's a little more trade. Mm. Um, and so there's some like, so for me, I guess what this is telling you is like experimentation, experimentation for me starts in the thought process mm-hmm. of just like exploring in my brain, like, what do I think about, do I want to do this? Do I want to do that? Like, there's a lot of like initial, like, um, thought that goes into the experimentation before I actually do anything. And I just toy with ideas and options in my mind first before I really will take a leap into anything. So a lot of the stuff that's very preliminary, I'm just thinking about and trying Hmm. to decide like what I want to give my time and attention to. Hmm. That's interesting. And I, I think I, I agree. I'm trying to think about how do I, <laughs> yeah, how, do, how does experimentation work for me initially? And I think I'm, I'm in a similar, uh, similar boat. Um, but I'm curious, like, what are the, what are the sort of pressure points that tell you um, when experimentation might be a good idea or might be necessary? Well, this is, I think this also harkens back to our between us ode um, about how to be everything and being a multi-potentialite. Mm-hmm. Um, I, when I get bored, that's the yeah. big pressure point when I'm like, okay, I'm done. I'm not really interested in this anymore. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and typically like my book projects are an excellent example of that. Like I write a book and then I'm like, I develop maybe a talk related to that book or some workshops related to it. And then I'm like moving on to the next book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's why doing these webinars has actually been really helpful for me because I can focus on a new topic every month and I feel like it's like giving me some structure, but also mm-hmm. allowing me to like play with something new. So that's been really fun. And also I think that's what draws me to coaching because every client is a little bit different and they need different things from me. Mm-hmm. So it allows me to just be really flexible and, and do, um, different kinds of techniques and things like that. So um, for me, it's really rooted in my own boredom. And, um, and I would say, and, and maybe to the detriment of my business in the sense that I'm not always looking out and saying, what do my clients need? It's more like, what do I feel like giving my clients at any given time? <laughs> Which, I like it. <laughs> right. I'm not sure that's the best way. I mean, I'm being completely honest. Like, I'm not sure mm-hmm. that's the best way to be thinking about it. But I also, I don't, and we've talked before about how we don't want to be stuck doing right. things that we don't like. So I, I feel like it's better for me to shift and change my business based on what I think I can provide the best mm-hmm. versus what my clients want. Because sometimes my clients want something from me that I could give and I would be good at giving it, but I don't necessarily want to. Right, right. Yeah, I would I would agree wholeheartedly with that, that there are things that, that I could do, but I don't really want to do that thing. So I'm not going to shift my direction to go that way. Like, that's not what I want to do. So right. I hear you Okay, on so one. what are your pain points? Um, I would say similarly, boredom <laughs> with stuff. Um, but also, you know, there's there's also the financial side of it, too. Um, you know, if I feel like a direction I'm moving isn't isn't necessarily going to pay off in the ways that I want financially or, 
you know, emotionally, <laughs> um, then I might decide to shift directions or try something new. Um, and it, it doesn't always have to be like trying to shift the Titanic from hitting the iceberg either. Like it, it, experimentation does not always have to be a big, huge thing. I think you, you pointed that out well earlier, Katie, that sometimes it can be little incremental things or sprinkling in um, a, a little something different to spice things up or to, um, you know, weave in something a little bit new or different, um, that those kinds of things can be you know, helpful both from a business perspective, but also from an interest perspective to kind of keep things, um, keep things interesting for, for us as us multi-potentialites as we, uh, as we like to identify. So, um, yeah, I would say boredom and also those, those kind of external, um, you know, real pressures of money, for example, <laughs> are kind of the, the big ones that I tend to listen to as well. So I'm curious if there's anything that you don't like to experiment with. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't think there's nothing that pops to mind immediately that I'm, I'm hesitant to, to experiment with. Um, I, I generally am kind of a more progressive, you know, worker and thinker anyway. So I, I'm not the kind of person who kind of gets stuck in, in ruts of like, this is how it's always been. So therefore it should stay that way. Um, I tend to be much more of the like, Ooh, look, cool, new thing. Let's see if we can, you know, play with that or throw that in here. How's that going to work or that sort of thing. So I, I don't have anything that I'm, I, I think actively thinking about like, no, I have to keep this the same, the exact mm. way it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are things that are working that I'm happy to kind of keep going in the background. But if there was an opportunity that I saw to experiment with it or to make it different or new, um, I would, I would definitely do that. And, you know, even, even my presentations, which I have, you know, the signature talk idea, um, I have one of those, but every time I give it, it's different. I I always go in and I tweak things and I adjust things. Um, Sometimes I'll pull in a new example or I'll pull in, you know, so it can be as little as that, or it can be as big as like, hey, I want to swap in this video and go down this direction instead, because I think for this audience, it will work better for these reasons or whatever. So even with my signature talk, I'm still experimenting with it and playing with it and trying to figure out how do I make this the best possible experience for my audience in that moment. Um, And so, yeah, there's nothing that that pops to mind about like not wanting to to experiment with something. Mm. Um, What about you? I'll turn the question back to you. Is Is there anything that you're a little hesitant to experiment with? Well, I don't know that I could like name a thing, but I will say, despite everything I've just said about like how I experiment with my business and all that, I actually think that my default is to be skeptical of experimentation. (laughs) So like if somebody comes to me and they're like, we should think about doing it this other way. I'm like, you need to tell me why. You know, like I'm immediately like, why should I spend my time on this? Like I'm skeptical of it, I think, because I don't want to do it just for the doing's sake. Like, mm-hmm. I need a reason. I mm-hmm. So, I mean, the boredom is a good reason for me to be like, I'm not happy or I'm, I'm not feeling challenged or, you know, like, this is not engaging for me. Um, so that that works in that way. But I think about, like, if you were just to approach me out of the blue and say, Katie, I think we should try a new podcasting dissemination platform. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, I'm totally on board for that. I'd be like, no, the one we're using works fine. tell tell me why tell me I mean I'm open to being convinced yeah but I do need that convincing and I Mm -hmm. think about 
the areas of our business where like my partner really excels with the back end web stuff, I think that's why we work so well together is because he's willing to kind of do the research and experiment on things that I don't care about. Mm. And so then he'll come and say, you know, I've been looking into this. I really think we should make X change. And I'll be like, okay, that makes sense to me. Like Mm -hmm. do it. Um, But I wouldn't like seek it out to experiment on it. So I guess like areas where I just don't feel like it's my wheelhouse are the areas yeah. where I don't like to experiment because I just don't care enough. Yeah, that's fair. I I can see that. I I would be similar, I think, in the sense, like, I want to try new platforms and do new stuff, but at, at what cost, I think, is always a, a thing to keep in mind when, when you're running a business. It's like, yeah, I could do it this different way, but is it going to get me any further down the road I want to go? Um, or is it just going to, as you said, Katie, be work for work's sake? Cause right. That, <laughs> who has time we for already that? have too much work to do exactly <laughs> no one has time for that yeah okay do you have any resources to share sarah or other things you want to say before we wrap up this episode um i don't think i have anything in in particular um i i tend to enjoy kind of experimenting and playing with things and um but it's also really nerve-wracking so i do want to acknowledge that that there is that sort of cost benefit analysis that that's a part of the equation. Um, so especially when you're doing a big experimentation, uh, and that might shift you in a completely new direction that like, there's a lot that goes into that process of deciding, like, is this something I actually want to sink as much time and energy as it would require, uh, to do it well? Um, is that something I want to do or not? And so, uh, you know, I, I want to acknowledge too, that it's not just like, I can drop everything and say, Hey, let's go do this thing as much as I might like to uh, sometimes. Um, and so there, there is that part of it that can be a little bit of a rolling the dice. Like you don't know how this is going to pay off, um, or in what ways, but I, I also trust the, f- the fact that like, if you put good work out, people are going to see that and it's going to create opportunities in ways that you may not identify right up front or you may not see for several years, but that constantly putting out good work and doing good stuff for people, um, I think that pays dividends in the end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I think I have a resource um, that I thought of as, as you were chatting there. Um, so I think I've mentioned one of this person's other books on the show, but I'm not sure I've mentioned the one I'm going to talk about now. So um, our listeners are probably very familiar at this point with my horrible memory, and I cannot remember what we've mentioned in previous episodes. So I apologize for that. Um, But just to give our listeners a behind the scenes peek, we record these episodes over several weeks of time. And it's like once it's done, it's out of my it's out of my head. Yep. Um, so <laughs> me too. The the resource I'm thinking of is a book by Josh Kaufman, and I think the book I previously mentioned on the show is one called The Personal MBA. Um, and I think I might have mentioned it on one of our finance episodes. Um, mm-hmm. But the the familiar. other one that he's written is called The First Twenty Hours, and it's a book basically about how to learn things rapidly. And I think that when it comes to experimentation, one of the things we didn't really touch on, but I think is important is basically to fail fast so that you know like what's working and what's (laughs) not and you're not wasting a bunch of time. And so that's what I appreciate about this idea of rapid learning is that you can kind of go into something relatively quickly, pick up the foundational skills you need to know, do you like it or not? You know, like, is this something Mm -hmm. you want to devote a lot more time to? And then if you really feel like you need to develop mastery in a a higher level, you at least know that you're kind of putting your time and energy into the right direction. And I'm not sure Mm -hmm. that's what Josh Kaufman intended with writing that book. I think he was just trying to help people learn more quickly. But I think that's a great way to apply it in the business context is to think about, you know, like knowing enough to know if you want to devote more time or and or resources. Mm, It may be that you're putting financial resources into an experiment as well. 
Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Cool. Well, go check that out for sure. Um, and uh, listeners, we would love to hear from you as well about other ways that you experiment with things in your businesses. Uh, is it new projects that you're trying? Is it new directions that you're trying to move your business? Is it kind of tweaking little things along the way? Like how, how do you experiment in your business? We'd love to hear from you. Um, as always, you can find us over on academicgig.com or on Twitter. We're at academicgig. Um, and we love to hear from you about the things that you're thinking about. And as we're wrapping up season two here. Um, you can also be sure to go sign up for our email list uh, because you'll be notified when season three drops at some point. We, I don't, we have no idea when that will happen at this point, um, but stay tuned for that as well. We're excited to continue talking about all of these things and would love to have your questions. So if there are things or topics you would love us to love for us to cover in the future, um, please let us know. We, we would love to have your feedback and um, your questions. Yes. And also um, you may uh, be able to anticipate a between episode as well, which we also have not discussed, but probably will happen. <laughs> In between seasons two and season three, like it happened in between seasons one and season two. So um, if you have a book that you want us to read, because usually these between episodes are going to center around a book. I think that's something we have um, decided um, in the future. You can definitely like tweet us or email us to let us know what books you want us to be reading and talking about on the show. We would love to hear that as well. So thanks, everybody, for sticking with us for season two. Um, this is such a fun project. I think you can tell we enjoy talking with each other and talking business and talking all things academic freelancing. So um, thanks for hanging in there with us. And we will see you again on the airwave soon. Yay. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Academic Gig podcast. We hope you enjoyed the conversation and heard something useful that you can apply in your own business. Show notes with links to resources mentioned in the episode and a full transcript are available at academicgig.com. There, you can also sign up for our email list and receive over 100 great resources for recommended books, blog posts, and podcasts for the academic creative, freelancer, and entrepreneur that you won't want to miss. You can connect with us on Twitter at Academigig, or you can also find Sarah at Dr. Langworthy and Katie at Katie double underscore Linder. We'd love to hear from you and continue the conversation about this episode. There are several other ways to connect with the Academic Gig podcast. Visit the website to post a comment about a specific episode, suggest a future topic, or ask a question that could be featured on a future Q&A episode. If you like what you heard, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. It helps us out and helps others find the show. And as always, thanks for listening.